Tonight our topic is the love of God to us. How deep is God's love? There's no depth to it. How broad or how wide is God's love? More than we could ever imagine. It's just amazing to me. Our, uh, I think our key verse tonight is we're going to begin with Romans chapter 8, verses actually. And let's read verses 38 through 39, Romans chapter 8. Anybody have that? Romans 8, verse 38 and 39. Amen. Paul said, for I am persuaded. What's that mean? He knows for sure. You're never going to change his mind that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other creature can separate us from the love of God. Notice this, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, basically, what's Paul saying? What about 10 years from now? It doesn't matter. It simply can't happen. Uh, There's nothing present, nothing in the future. Uh, Nothing can separate us from the love of God. The key here is, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, again... Paul says, separate us. And when Paul said that, we use that word us there, he's talking about Christians. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So my question is, as a child of God, do we ever have to wake up in the morning and wonder, does God still love me? No. Now, can he be disappointed in us? Sure. But he doesn't stop loving us. Now, please understand, we know and we read about the love, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And the Bible is fairly clear about this. The Bible teaches nothing of a love of God outside of Christ. Think about that. God's love is embodied and wrapped up in Christ. Now, I'm sure we'll get back to this verse a little later on. For God so loved the world. Is that what the verse says? How much? He sent his son. Again, the scripture doesn't know about love outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 145, verse 9. So who is God good to? He's good to all. His mercies over all of his works. His goodness extends to all of creation. In fact, we know from the scriptures that he even provides the fowl of the air, the birds of the air with food. Even the ravens. We know that one time God used ravens to feed Elijah, to bring food to him. So God is good to all of his creation. Romans, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 6 verse 35. Luke 6 35. He's kind to who, Rhonda? Yeah. God is kind to everyone. He is kind to everyone. Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. What's that verse tell us? Now, wait a minute. Back up. God's good to everybody, right? He's good to everybody. But please understand, as a child of God, now by the way, Dan, I, I'm going to give you what do you call that technical, a technicality there, because you're actually right. God does love everybody. But 
the Scripture tells us that God has a special kind of love reserved for His children. Isn't that true? A special kind of love reserved for His children. And that's established by His characteristic uh, because the attributes of His love are identical with God Himself. And that has to be true because God is love. 1 John 4, 8. 1 John 4, verse 8. God is what? God is love, okay? He is love. So the attributes of His love are identical with Himself. Because God is love. And he has a special kind of love for his children, those who are born again. God's love is like himself. Now, again, when did God begin? Always was. When we end? Never will. From everlasting to everlasting. And because God is love, since God is everlasting to everlasting, his love has to be what? Everlasting to everlasting. Now, here's what's interesting. Back to our thought from Romans chapter 8, Paul talked about the love of God in Christ Jesus. The love of God for us in Christ Jesus. What did any of us do for God to wake up one day and say, you know what, man, i got to love Rick Martin. I gotta love Dan or Sandy or whoever. What 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 in us attracted God's love? Nothing. Nothing attracted God's love to us. And by the way, God may be disappointed in us, and sometimes often he is, but his love for us never changes. John 13, verse 1. He loved them till when? Till the end. He loved them until the end. Now, by the way, thank you, Phyllis. John 13, 1. That's the Last Supper, of course. And that's the time when Jesus reveals that one of the twelve were going to betray him. And that happens later on in John 13. Do you think Jesus, do you think that Jesus already knew which one it was? Sure he did. He loved his own, which in the world, and he loved them until the end. Here we are, John 3.16. Thank you, Dan. Now, uh, for God's love the world. And the word world there in John 3.16 is a general term. Now, by the way, before Christ came, and even after Christ came... As far as the Jews were concerned, if you ask them who did God love, who would they tell you? The Jews. But God says, John says, no. He loved who? The world. So again, making a distinction from the Jews. Now the Jews are part of that. But God's love is not exclusive for the Jews. It's for the whole world. Now, the fact that God loves the whole world, Does that mean he is pleased with all people? No. Amen. And he's definitely not pleased. Um, Chuck Swindoll told the story years ago. He was visiting some museum, might have been a museum of arts of some kind. And uh, he said, when I walked in, they had on a placard, on a poster, said, for we are all the children of God. And then it put dot, dot, dot. But it was quoting from Galatians. And their point was everybody is a child of God. 
But the rest of the verse says those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay? So is there a difference? Yes. So John 3.16 does not mean that God is pleased with everyone. And it doesn't mean that all the world are children of God. So please understand, God has a special love reserved for those who belong to him. Those who have been born again. The psalmist in chapter, um, chapter in the fifth division of Psalm, verse five. Look what it says. Psalm five five. Back up, you missed a word there. You're. So is God pleased with everybody? No. Is everybody going to be able to stand in God's sight? No. Does he love everybody? Yes. But he's not pleased with everyone. Uh, Psalm 6, verse 7. Again, validating that statement, yes, God loves the whole world, but he's not pleased with the whole world, and not everyone is going to heaven. Um, John chapter 3, verse 36. Okay, help me out here. John 3.36, you just read that, Dan. Does that verse tell us that everybody's going to heaven? Does it look like to you there are two groups? One group's going where? And one's going down. There you go. Two different directions. They're opposite. If you believe on the Son, you're going to have everlasting life. But if you don't, you're going to experience the wrath of God. Romans 9, I'm sorry, yeah, Romans 9, verse 13. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What do you think about that? Who were Jacob and Esau, by the way? Do what now? They were brothers, right? And Jacob was such a good guy. (laughs) Anything but good, right? But God says, and of course Paul quoted from the Old Testament, Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. Now here's what's interesting. When we think about God's character, His design, His purpose, is to commend His love in Christ. For God so loved the world, He sent His Son. He displayed his love in Christ. And it's in Christ is the channel through which God's love flows. Now please understand. Jesus is the only begotten of the Father. We know that. But do you think that Jesus had to beg God to send him? No. He didn't induce God to do that. It was God's love for people that moved God to send his son. For God so loved the world that he sent. His love moved him. In fact, I I will say this, not only did Christ not induce him, no one did. His love for the world sent him, induced him, moved him to send his son. How many know that everything God does is supremely good? Remarkable. 
And uh, reading after one preacher of years gone by, he was talking about God's love. And I'm not going to quote him and kind of paraphrase what he wrote. But he talks about how God had used such a wonderful way to manifest his love. Paul said in Romans, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, for God's love of the world. So when he shows his power, when God shows his power, when he shows his power, he made a world. When he displayed his wisdom, he set the world in a frame. And what's it hanging on? Christ said, for all things are by him, all things consist. When he would show and display the majesty and the glory of his names, he made heaven. And can you imagine what a sight that's going to be? And in that heaven, he put angels and archangels, principalities, powers in heaven. So when he showed his power, he made the world. When he showed his wisdom, he put it in a frame to hang it from. To show the glory of his name, he made the heavens, the angels, principalities. But when he showed his love, you know what he did? He sent his son. He sent his son. And by the way, who is Christ? Say it again. Son of God. But more particularly, he's who? He's God. And he is the Son of God. He's God. So he chose a great and marvelous way of displaying his love in Christ. His person, his blood, his death, and his righteousness. Absolutely. And I gotta ask a question. Who else but God could come up with a plan like that? Now think about that. I was listening this morning, uh Erwin Lutzer, he's on running to win. I think it comes on about eight thirty in the morning, right after David Jeremiah on the radio on uh ninety three point seven. And he's talking about the word of God. He said, could you imagine over 40 different doctors trying to write a book over 1,500 years about a certain medicine? Do you think it come out the same? Over 40 different authors over 1,500 years wrote about the Savior. And guess what it did? It came out the same. Who else could do that? But God, who else would have displayed his love like he did except for God? Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Now again, Dan, all the promises of God in him, in Christ. Every promise of God in Christ is yes. What word, what word don't you see there? No. In Christ, His promises are sure. They are amen. So be it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. They were again chosen us in Christ. That we should be holy without blame before Him, before God, in love. Christ is love. God is love. Ephesians 1, verse 6. Skip down a couple verses. Wherein He has made us accepted 
in the beloved. Who is the beloved? Jesus Christ. We have been made accepted. Is that important? Have you ever been rejected? You ever like that? I don't like that. We don't, we don't like being told no. But Christ has made us accepted. Thank God for that. The glory of His grace, by His grace, He has made us accepted in the beloved. Colossians 3, verse 3. Our life is hid where? With Christ. In God. Remember, the Bible doesn't teach about love outside of Christ. Christ is the embodiment of God's love on display. So what are we talking about here tonight? When we were chosen in Christ, we were accepted by God. And because we are chosen in Christ, our life is hid in Him. So now we are beloved in Him. And Paul said the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, Paul said, nothing. What's the word nothing mean? Yeah. And he didn't say nothing except, he said, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I think sometimes if you're like me, I don't contemplate God's love enough for me. And when I take time to consider, when I pause and focus on the fact that God loves me. You know, it's, it's one thing to say for God to love the world, right? But what's it mean when we say God loves me? Individually. And each one of us can say that. And we wonder, God, if as vast as you are, all your glory and honor and your greatness and your holiness, all of your attributes, Lord, to think that you love me. I don't know about you, but that overwhelms me. God loves me. I catch myself saying, can I ask you a question? You know if I say that, I'm going to ask you a question, right? Who could ask for anything more? God loves me. The question is, why am I sort of apprehensive to even say that? And certainly, I believe in a believing apprehension fills my mind. So how do I know God loves me? Thank you. God says He does. He loves me. Now, I've got to tell you, folks, just knowing that God loves me, and put your name in there, okay? Personal. Make it Personal. That ought to make us as happy as we can be on this side of heaven. God loves me. God is for me. And if God is for me, guess what? Nobody can be against me. He's for me. And I kind of believe that to know and believe the love which God has toward me, I can't help but think it's just a foretaste of heaven of what God has waiting for all who love him. The Apostle Paul, I don't have the verse in our notes tonight, just came to my mind as he wrote that last letter. He finished his course, ran the race. And Paul said, laid it for me a crown of righteousness, 
but not for me only, but who? For all those who love his appearing. Now, remember, God loves his people in Christ. Again, Romans 8, 38 and 39. The love of God in Christ Jesus. God loves us in Christ. And because he loves us in Christ, it's not for any goodness or any attraction we have in ourselves. Is that true? He loves us in Christ. Now, we read a moment ago, Paul was quoting from the Old Testament. And God said, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. (laughs) Now, when we talk about the patriarch, we have Abraham, number one. Help me out here. Isaac and Jacob. Not necessarily Esau. Okay? He was part of the family. But who was chosen to carry that on? It was Jacob. Now, hold on. Jacob have I loved. I was reading some kind of a, I don't know, tongue-in-cheek translation of that particular scripture when Jacob was born. And the head made the head the the I guess the one delivering the baby said he'll make a good used car salesman. <laughs> now again, it was tongue in cheek. What do we know about Jacob? Yeah, he was a deceiver. Uh, he was horrible. And the Bible says, Jacob have I loved. Now, wait a minute. So that tells me that God loves the naturally unattractive. He loves the despicable. Would Jacob fit that definition? Yes. You what? He does. But he had a special love for Jacob. Now remember, because God loves his people in Christ. Now, let me back up again, okay? Let's go back to Jacob and Esau for a moment. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Yes. You can't trust a woman. I'm kidding. Go ahead. Okay, good point. He does know that, but here's what we want to go back to, and you're right, both of you. First of all, it was always God's will for Jacob to carry on the family name. That was the will of God. Huh? That was God's plan. Yeah, I agree. Now here's again, but a good a good question here. Um, first of all, let's back up for a moment, okay? I'm not trying to avoid your question. I'll work up to it. God had promised Abraham and Sarah a child, right? Time went by, and Sarah and Abraham thought we need to help God. We need to help God, right? Did God need your help? No. So what they did, they did get a son. 
How many know that sign is still causing trouble? The lineage of that sign. It wasn't the plan of God. They ran ahead of God. Now, up to Jacob. And certainly his mother was involved, but Jacob wasn't innocent either. Jacob loved the plan. He lied to his dad. He lied to his dad a couple of times. You want now? Yes, on his deathbed. And like, I mean, that's tough. I mean, come on. So, again, but please understand, do you think God needed? <laughs> My mind went black. What's his mother's name? Rebecca? Is that right? Is that Jacob's mom? Anyway, did God need Jacob's mother to work his plan out? No. It would have come about. God had it already in mind. It was already declared the elder would serve the younger. That was God's plan. Now, how God would bring it about, I don't know. Now, it came about that way. But my question is, do you think it cost Jacob some stuff? There's no doubt about it. It cost him 21 years of his life serving someone else. Yeah, he, he made his match. Yes, Diane? Exceptionally well because God was with him. Now, again, that comes back to our point. It's not what we do that attracts God's love. Now, don't be offended. I'm going to tell you this tonight. All of us have a little bit of Jacob in us. Do we not? Sure we do. So it's not what we do that attracts God to us. And so, again, my question would be, why? And, and by the way, uh, God did not cast Jacob, I'm sorry, Esau away altogether. He didn't cast Ishmael away altogether. He blessed their families, okay? He blessed them in spite, you know, of what happened here on this earth. God blessed them. So why did God choose Jacob over Esau? Say it again. Absolutely. It was his, it was his choice. And who does God call for, for advice? No one. It was his good pleasure. So remember... No. No, it doesn't. And we don't have to understand it either. But the problem is we want to understand it. We want every T crossed. We want every I dotted. Put it all in the right place. But it doesn't always work out that way. God is sovereign. Paul Wheeler, I don't know if you remember some years ago, you, you, you heard somebody made a statement. You, you told me. When God puts a period at the end of the sentence. Something like that. Remember that? What's that mean? That's it. It's done. It's done. So God chose Jacob, not because he was better. Now, it doesn't mean that Esau was all he should have been either. But we know what Jacob was. God doesn't choose us. He chooses us through Jesus Christ. Because he loves us in Christ. John chapter 17 is really the Lord's Prayer. I know we, we, we talk about our Father who art in heaven. That was, a, that was a sample prayer that God gave the disciples. But John 17 is really the Lord's Prayer. And he prays it the, the night before the crucifixion. But look at verse 23. Thank you, Phyllis. There in verse 23, Christ is praying. And he's praying for two things. Lord, I'm in them and you are in me. And I want them to be made complete in one. And there's two reasons I want that to happen. Number one, so the world would know that you're the one who sent me. I didn't come on my own. Lord, you sent me. 
But the second reason I want them to be complete in one is that the world will also know that you have loved me, loved them the same way you love me. Isn't that amazing? God loves us as he loves his son. And I gotta tell you folks, these are beyond our comprehension. And only faith can get a hold of that. You can't reason it in, you can't feel it in. That doesn't work. God loves us in Christ. And that's why Paul said, I am persuaded that nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And I don't understand why, I just know it's true. God takes infinite delight as he beholds his people in his Son. Thank God for that. All of our blessings flow from that precious fountain. And yes, there is a fountain filled with blood. And it was drawn from Emmanuel's veins. What's the word Emmanuel mean? God with us. 1 John 4.19 What? Notice this, folks. God's love to us didn't begin because we loved him first. It didn't begin with our love to him. The only reason we love him, why? It's because he first loved us. He first loved us. So we didn't come first to give him love, that he might return it back again. Not at all. The fact that we are even born again is not a motive for his love. But his love is why we're born again. His love is why we've been regenerated. The love of God in Christ Jesus. I got a table. God's wonderful. He's amazing. He's an amazing God. And this is clear because even when we are not seeking Him, He seeks us. Think about that. Go back to the garden. Adam and Eve sinned. What did they do right away? Before that. They hid. And I don't know which was which order could have been, but they hid. Who came looking for them? You know why? He loved them. Because he first loved us. Ezekiel 16, verse 8. Okay, thank you, Philip. Let me give you some background here. Of course, we're reading from the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was one of the prophets who uh, wrote and prophesied uh, toward the beginning, toward the end of their freedom and the beginning of Babylonian captivity. Israel had done wrong. Horribly wrong. The northern kingdom had been in captivity over 100 years, and now Judah is circling the drain. What I want you to know when I explain Ezekiel 16:8 in a moment here, God seeks us even at times when we are at our worst. God says in Ezekiel 16, verse 8, When I came along, God says, basically, and I saw you. Now again, speaking to Israel. He says, you were old enough to be claimed for marriage. And yet, 
she remained alone. And God said, I'm the one who came and made my advance towards you, not the other way around. I came. And God said, I want you to understand something. There was nothing special about you. In fact, you wrote your worst. God says, there was nothing noteworthy about you. And yet God says, I showed you my love and my kindness. Isn't that true for us too? Isn't that true for us? There was nothing noteworthy about us. And yet God showed me his love and his kindness. From a human standpoint, when we love someone, there's something about them that attracts us to them. Every day I look in the mirror of Pam's and I say, no wonder you married me. She laughs too. But, but you know, there was something that attracted me to her and, 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 and her to me. But not so with God. There was nothing in me that would attract my God. And God came to me when I was at my worst. He came to me when I could not come to him. Now, by the way, I don't have the verse. You'll remember when I mention it, though. A lot of times, God's people that he uses are at their worst when God first reveals their love to them. Remember Saul of Tarsus? You remember the day he was on the road to Damascus? What was he doing or planning to do? Yeah. I mean, he, he did. I mean, come on. He had witnessed the stoning of Stephen. He held their coats while they stoned him. And, and you know, he was having a heyday. He was at his worst. He thought it was his best. But here's the, here's the deal, folks. Whenever, we're, whenever we are at our worst, you can always count God is at his best. And God came to Saul. Later on as Paul, he came to him at his worst. It's also interesting. Certainly God's love is completely the opposite of ours. We didn't draw him. We didn't love him first. But God's love was already in his heart a long time. His love for us was already in his heart a long time before we were delivered from the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. By the way, this past week in Colossians, we looked at that verse. We have been translated. We've been delivered into the kingdom of his son. Jeremiah 31 verse 3. So when did God's love begin? Everlasting. So what what is Jeremiah what is God saying through the pen of Jeremiah? God's love didn't begin in time, but it bears the date of eternality. It bears the date of eternity. I have loved you. With an everlasting love. How many know only God can do that? And he does it through Christ Jesus. 1 John 4.10 God loved us. We didn't love him. But he loved us enough, he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins.
That's a big word, propitiation. What does that mean? Yeah. He appeased the wrath of God. It's been a while since I did a word study on that. And if my memory serves me correctly, whenever they translated the Hebrew into the Greek of the Old Testament, when it came to the mercy seat, they were looking for the Greek word. It's the same word used for propitiation. How many are glad for God's mercy seat? Thank God. God for that. Romans 5 8. He died when we were what? Enemies. Romans 5 10. When we were enemies, Christ reconciled us. And without a doubt, these verses show us that God loved his people even when we were destitute of grace. Without one drop of love toward him, without any faith toward him. In fact, Paul said, even while we were enemies, Christ died for us. And I think of what Jesus did for me while I was an enemy. That should obligate me, a greater obligation to love him, to serve God, and glorify the one who loved me first. The one who came to me when I was at my worst. James 1.17 So every gift we have comes from who? From God. He doesn't change. All the the acts of God toward us are given by the Father of lights. Romans 5, 5. Amen. Now, does that mean God doesn't chastise us? No, he doesn't. But when he chastises, when he is chastising our lives, does that mean he stopped loving us? No. Uh, Hebrews 12, 6. Amen. He even, when he's chastising us, chasing us, he loves us. Well, I'm going to look real quick. We're just about out of time tonight. But some of the particular areas uh, where we see God's love operate. Number one, the fact that he shows us. Second Thessalonians 2.13. Anybody got that? So we see God's love in choosing us. We didn't deserve it. I won't read Deuteronomy 7, but God reminded Israel, I didn't, I didn't put my love on you or choose you because you were smarter or stronger just because of who I am. I love for you. But also we see God's love in redeeming us. 1 John 4.10. We had a verse earlier. 1 John 4.10. Amen. We see God's love in redeeming us. The third area, in drawing us. Again, uh, uh, Jeremiah 31, verse 3.
Again, God draws us with His loving kindness. First John 3, 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we might be called the sons of God. But the fourth thing we see God's love, He heals our backsliding. Hosea 14, 4. How many know that God still loves you when you backslide? And God can heal our backsliding. Song of Solomon, 8 7. Anybody got that? So Solomon says, What can extinguish love? Nothing. Nothing. God's love for his people is invincible. It's unquenchable, and there's no way it'll ever, ever end. His love prevailed over sin. Uh, his love um, keeps us now that we're saved. And we're not going to read uh, Ephesians 2, 1 tonight. But I'm going to go uh, in tonight with a couple of things here in way of application. First of all, let me ask the question. Is God's love important to us? Yes, we ought to treasure it. So number one, meditate daily on God's love. Every day. And do that so the affections of our heart will be drawn near to him. Folks, I guarantee you, the more you meditate on God's love, the more you'll love him. Second of all, whenever we are discouraged, are in tough situations, plead His love in prayer. You don't know how many times when I'm praying. I'm praying for myself or someone else. A lot of times I say, Lord, I know You love them. I know You love me. Is that true? When is that true? All the time. Plead His love in prayer. Meditate on it. Plead His love in prayer. And finally, make His love the reason for your obedience. You obey Him. Why? Because you love Him. Make that your determination. Gratitude requires nothing less. The love of God toward us. Thank God he does love us. Somebody say amen. Yeah. All right, let's take a few minutes. Go to the Lord in prayer. We certainly want to continue.